0: Welcome, listeners, to episode 74 of the Ad Nauseam Podcast. We are here on a bitterly cold February evening. Michigan, make up your mind. Seriously. Yeah, if my kids have
1: a snow day. Another snow day tomorrow. Another I'm a, snow a, day. I'm going to go out of my mind. There's no way. You're yeah, stay.
0: staying home? Uh,
1: well, well, what am I supposed to do? I have young children. I can't yeah. just abandon them. No, I said they're staying home. Oh, yeah, the, if there's a snow day. They're staying home and I'm there with them. Okay, so you're the real victim here. Yeah, I am the real victim here. right? I love my family, but we've had a lot of togetherness yes, lately. A
0: lot of togetherness, yep. compounded with the COVID and so forth. Enough, enough already. All right, let's get on to the ad nauseum. All right. My name is Dr. David C. Noe, and we are here in the vomitorium on a February scary evening with my good friend, Dr. Jeffrey T. Winkle. Mm. And how are you, Jeff? Well, I think I just told you how I felt. Okay, about, never about mind. Right now.
1: But no, I, I'm doing well. I'm excited, about the, the, I'm excited about the topic. How are you doing?
0: Thank you for asking. Yes. I'm doing well, yeah. uh, It's probably too early to plug any beverages that support us, but um, let's just say I had a cup of tea earlier today. Oh, No caffeine, but very invigorating. Mm. That explains the bounce in your step this evening. The bounce in my step. No one's ever accused me of that. (laughs) So tonight we're going to be talking about the boy wonder of 5th century Athens. We are, Alcibiades. Yes, Alcibiades, Alcibiades. Mm -hmm. The mutilation of the Herms. Yes. And... The profaning of the mysteries, ah. the double whammy. We're going to get all that done in the next hour? I think we can do it. All right. Yep. But first. We have a shout out. We do. This goes to my friend, good friend, in fact, Christopher Chopka. Chopka. I think that's a Eastern European name. It looks uh, maybe Slavic or Polish, or I don't know Perhaps. if we are supposed to speculate. <laughs> this guy is amazing. Uh, tell me about it. He used to be a professional cellist. Really? Yes. And now he's a pastor in the, the uh, sun-drenched, sun-soaked region of uh, Arizona. What part of Arizona is he from? I think he's in uh, Tucson. Is that how we say Tuxin? that? Tuxin. Tuxin. Yeah. Tucson. Tucson. Right. With his wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an OPC pastor like myself. He enjoys classics because it's so enjoyable. And he, is he getting that from this podcast? The, yeah, the can you believe part? it? Yeah. He calls it interesting, inspiring, amusing, layered. Layered? Yeah, man. like a wedding cake. Yes. And beautiful. He has been listening to A.N. from the beginning with his son, 15 years old. He loves the show, recommends it often. Oh, man. A self-described super fan. So he's just Can we can we describe him as a super fan? Well, he, he says that he is. Okay. He yeah. identifies as a super fan. Okay, well, then he's a super fan. Yeah. yeah. And he's the owner of a Ratio A. Oh, my God. I hope he used the coupon code. Uh, I don't think it exists. Yeah, I don't think it existed at the time. Oh. This could have been a private arrangement. Gotcha. Gotcha. But he's got one, and he's enjoying it. Excellent. Well, thank you, Christopher, for listening and for being a super fan. That's awesome. And we have more
1: news to break, don't we? Yes, we do. We have the winner of the Ratio sweepstakes.
0: Yes. And this goes to, you got to put a drum roll in here, Mishka. Mr. Brent Schubert. Brent. Yes. They drew his name. Yes, that's right. Uh, so Mark was telling me, "Look, we got this number of entries. Uh, plug it into the, you know, the Google randomizer and mm-hmm. it'll spit out a number." It spit out the number 52, and that was Mr. Brent Schubert or oh. Brant as Mark accidentally called him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he's the
0: winner of a ratio 6. Congratulations and, uh, Brent, you're going to love this thing. Yes, and a complimentary pound of coffee, uh Compliments of the hosts. You didn't know about this. No, right? this is, uh, wow, this is great. <laughs> yeah. you're, th- you're
1: throwing that in there. I said the
0: hosts. Oh, it's wow. plural. <laughs> I guess I'm responsible. That's for right. It, from yeah. Madcap Coffee here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Fantastic. So Jeff, let's get on to it. Yes. Uh, and you have the Ope quote. Yes. Should we say something
1: about a bit of the subject matter tonight before we? Well, you dive know, into I'm a little it? anxious about it. I know honestly. you are. So Yeah.
0: Why don't you say a few words about sure. the, the risk almost risque nature?
1: Yeah. So uh, we're talking about Alcibiades and the mutilation of the herms, and when we talk about the things called the Herm's. They are. It's. It's You're a struggle in del- here. I am because it's a w- description of the male anatomy. It is right. right. These are these are a kind of a statue with a head of Hermes on the top, but also a very a visible um, male member. Right, on them. right. So we know that we know, a lot of kids listen to the show, and we know we know that uh, parents
0: listen to the show with their kids, and so we just want to be. Give a heads up. Yeah, I'm going to be frank and candid. If if this content, of course, it's not going to be, you know, prurient or inappropriate. No, we have to describe a couple of things in the course of the show. So, you know, just be aware of that. And
1: we're going to do our best to do it delicately, absolutely, um, without um, taking away from kind of the the punch of the of the subject matter. That's correct.
0: So here's the Ope quote. Here's Oping. You like it? Yeah, man.
1: All right. (laughs) The classical Greek Herm is a partly an iconic, typically archaizing statue consisting of a rectangular pillar topped with a stylized bust of Hermes, horizontal cutting at the shoulder height to accommodate a cross beam or brace midway down, and visible on the front a uh, depiction of the male member. The herm, says Thucydides, is an ubiquitous Athenian icon. While the origin of the Hermes of the Herm, sorry, remains controversial, its widespread popularity is well attested. According to the pseudo-Platonic Hipparchus, the Herms were initiated by Hipparchus as distance markers halfway between Athens and each of its rural demes. They included within Athens, a three-headed Herm at a crossroads northwest corner in the northwest corner of the city, near what would have been the city's principal gateway, pointing to the direction of the various paths, these road markers are supported by archaeological evidence, although the Hipparchian herms are probably not the origin of the herm form. Hmm. So these okay. these statues um, were very important to the ancient Athenians for not just for marking distance, as the as the quote here suggests, but for protecting the landscape in a kind of a
0: religious, theological, spiritual uh, sense. So you got a Herm there. It shows you how far it is to Athens and how to get there. Yes. But it's also warding off evil spirits, Right. claiming this is Hermes, the god of traveling, is going to protect you on the way. Exactly
1: right. And protecting those weird liminal spaces where creepy... Uh, ghosts like to hang out. Yeah, do we right? need to
0: ring a bell every time you say liminal? Yeah, exactly. Okay. exactly. You, you, you swig a drink there. Right? All right, because, uh, so right. true story, true yeah. story. Uh, my wife and my eldest daughter, we're in uh, Athens 2014. We are in the Stoa of Attalus, the reconstructed Stoa. You know where it is? Of course. In the Agora, a beautiful yep. spot. And we come across one of these Herms, and of course they say, what is this? Right. And then I explain, this is an Athenian road marker. Yes, very unusual. Very unusual. Right? Right. It's so strange in our experience. Yes, I don't know. Were the Athenians trying to be funny? Were they trying to be uh, a mix of funny and reverent? What exactly is happening?
1: We don't. I don't think we fully know. Um, I talk about this when I introduce Hermes to my mythology classes. And yes, to the modern eye, these things look so strange because of kind of the the sexual right um, content. And um, I always try to explain it that I think what's going on is that. Um, the, the ancient not just the ancient Greeks but you see it with Romans you see it around the world I think there's this association with the presentation of the obscene mm. you know things that shouldn't be revealed in civilized polite culture right that kind of shocking revelation of it had the effect of scaring off and warding off evil spirits oh, and that's okay. its function and so it look it looks it looks salacious to the yeah. modern eye yeah. I th- but I think to the ancient it, it did not it did okay. not have that function
0: that's really interesting right it's uh, not easy to explain to students when you're touring them around. Either. No, no, it's very true. <laughs> very strange. So
1: this will come up again. I mean, okay. these were the things that Alcibiades involved in mutilating, and
0: we're going to talk about why that was such a big deal. Okay. All right. So today we're covering a scandalous episode. Yes. Right? And a turning point in the history of classical Athens. Yes, we are. The profaning of the mysteries and the mutilation of the Herms by Alcibiades and his, uh, what's this word here? Entourage. Oh, entourage. Yes. Entourage. Yeah. On the eve of the Sicilian expedition, which is... 415, mm-hmm. right? They're going to sail off to Sicily and crush those allies of the Spartans right. and demonstrate their hegemony.
1: Right. A controversial move uh, and one that military historians still debate, like, you know, why did the Athenians right. actually do this in the middle of a war that was already turning badly for them? Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're going to talk about... That well, some of the military aspects, we're going to talk about why this episode is such a turning point, um, what what it has to do and how, what it reveals about the personality of this guy, Alcibiades. I mean, in some ways, is
0: you can't make his story up. It's so bizarre. It's strange. It yeah. is very strange. And most importantly, yes? we're going to give uh, you, mm-hmm. Jeff, the chance to talk about liminality. I think I've already said the word maybe already twice. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> right. So before we start out with the Sicilian expedition, though, mm-hmm. uh, a big event next week, you know? Next week, Tuesday. Are you familiar with what Tuesday is? Uh, is that uh, is it Mardi Gras? No, it is not Mardi Gras. No. It is the twenty second day. Of the second month of two thousand twenty-two. That's a lot of twos. It is. It's two 22 Did you know that? I didn't. I Which is probably about when this episode will drop. Maybe a little, a uh, little after the episode drops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're excited about this? I'm kind of, not this numerological. No, I'm not. Happenstance? <laughs> I heard just tonight that many of the local kids have two 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 two, two themed activities in their schools. What are you going to do on that day? I'm not going to do anything because what? I'd feel like a third wheel. What? <laughs>
1: So the kids are just that's like, it, I'm yeah, out of are here. Done or...
0: that's it for tonight. That's all
1: I got. <laughs> Tip your waitress. That's yes, right. He'll be here next week. All right, right. let's get back to it. <laughs> okay. The Sicilian expedition, Jeff. All right, we should probably back up a little bit about this because the Sicilian expedition takes place about roughly about halfway uh, through this uh, devastating war between yes. the Athenians and Spartans. So we should yeah. explain a little bit of, okay. kind of how we get there.
0: Yeah, so Thucydides says this is the war to end all wars. Yes. Heard that one before, right? right. Yeah, right, exactly. A greater war than the one Herodotus recounted. And Herodotus says, "Oh, mine's a greater war, the Greco-Persian war, than the one that Homer recounted." Right? So you always got a one-up. They're the also trying guy. to one-up each other. Exactly. Was, yeah, Who's got the the biggest war? Right. So it breaks out around 4:30, 4:29. Mm-hmm. Uh, a plague coincides with the start of the plague.
1: Yes, that's, uh, that's always struck me as so bizarre. Yeah. They um, at the same time they launched this major war with their most major rival on the on the uh, the Greek mainland, Athens with Sparta. Right. This massive plague devastates Athens. Yes. I've read that some estimates say that
0: up to a third of the population that too. had died. Yeah, and the male population of Athens may have been what 50,000 something like that. And then the total population may have approached 500,000. I've heard that estimate. Would you bring women, children, slaves, medics and yeah. I think that probably that number's probably a little high, but still a massive city by ancient standards. Right.
1: And then not only that, uh, Pericles, who's kind of right. who's the the architect of of uh, kind of the Athenian democracy to some degree, and he's the guy behind the
0: well, uh, behind everything, behind the building of the Parthenon, right. a, a lot of the stuff that you can still see there. Trump Towers. He's the he's the, pen, <laughs> he's the that's, Yes, is exactly. that the first Trump reference on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I it's think if we go way back, there might have been a couple. of memory. Yeah. The Pentacontitea, right? The, the amazing 50 years unrivaled until the Medici. He was the guy and boom. He dies from the plague. Dies in the plague. Mm-hmm. But the Athenians, they carry on. We're going to continue to prosecute this war. Mm-hmm. And we're going to continue the massive uh, monumental building uh, plan on the Acropolis. And yes. They're not going to interrupt that nope. during the war. No, nope, they're not going to do that too. It's, so. it's incredible.
1: So it, I think
0: it's one of those...
1: You kind know, of those what if questions? In, if uh, what would the uh, the history have looked different if Pericles had survived, and um, they had had more kind of his hand on the tiller? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there's some evidence that he was already kind of on the out past his prime. Past his prime. Hmm. Yeah, but at any rate, I hadn't heard that before, but I believe it. Yeah. So uh, so during the if we go back even further, um, so the the Greeks, uh, the various Greek city states banded together
0: in, in kind of this. Hesitant alliance to push back the Persian threat. Correct. Right. It happened in three different occasions. Right. Yes. 499, 495. The first Persian threat. Then you've got what? Uh, the place we visited in uh, 490. Right. Yes. Marathon. Marathon. Mm-hmm. Ten years later in 480, and then the, what would it be the? So that the fall of 480, and the spring of 479, something like that. You got the the other three major battles. Thermopylae. Uh, yep. Plataea and Salamis. And Salamis. Yeah. And, and drove the the. Um, the Persians back, right? So it was a watershed moment. The first tragedy, actually, by Aeschylus is on the Persians and how we beat them. Yes, right. The one tragedy that survives that's not about a mythological subject. Yes. Yeah. And so this is a moment of pan-Hellenism, a brief moment. Right. And then it all falls apart. It is. And, and, and Aeschylus, I think he's... a he's, uh, um, for a tragedian,
1: he's pretty enthusiastic about a, the possibility of a of a kind of a pan-hellenic culture that's kind of but run by Athens. oh yeah, and, and the uh, and the possibilities of, kind of the democracy being kind of a partnership with the gods, right. But already during the Persian Wars, you're having this
0: buildup of Spartan power and Athenian power. and and to me, it's they're kind of destined to clash. well, and you have lots of examples. this is for another episode of Athenian overreach, yeah, right? with the Delian League. Yes. So all the different city-states, they, they gather up all this money and they join the Delian League. And they deposit on the island of uh, Mytilene. Yeah. Is that right? I think that's right. That's yes. right. Yeah. And uh, so Thucydides talks about this in his history, how the um, Athenians go and they just they loot the treasury of the Delian League. And, yeah. And it was a, a definitely the nadir of Athenian morality. Right. They say, well, you know, we suffered the most in the war. They burned our Acropolis. We're the, you know, the main defenders of the whole enterprise. We deserve that money,
1: right? Right. And then um, these are kind of these satellite states, uh, the Athenians demand you either pay us, you know, tribute to, uh, with money, right. Or you contribute ships to our navy. Yes. And and the Athenian navy was, of course, what in many ways you you know won that that uh, second wave of it's, the Persian War at Salamis. Yep. And so you by sh- by giving ships to the Athenian navy uh, as a satellite. A city-state. You're almost um, uh, ensuring that
0: Athens is going to stay at the top of that heap for sure. Yep. And then, so you probably have many people around um, the Aegean saying, "So we threw off the Persians. Now we have Athenian masters." Right. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> what we've gone to from uh, uh, frying pan to the fire, or, right. or just a lateral move? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the middle of this, then, uh, they, so then, uh, like you said,
0: in 430 ish, war breaks out between Athens and Sparta. Yeah, and more specifically, if I may. Athens and her allies, yes. and Sparta and her allies, exactly, exactly. which made it a, a world war, at least in the Greek world. Right. It wasn't just the two city-states, but all of their clients. Yes.
1: Yep, yep, yep. And so in the middle of this, there's um, a dispute that breaks out on the island of Sicily, mm. uh, where there are, had been Greek colonies there for many, many, many years. Right. And it's the same kind of thing, the Uf- these Greek colonies that are allied with one side or the other. Right. And so in this story, um, it's uh,
0: Segesta. Is the uh, right. colony that's on the Athenian side, and it's on the it's on the west, it's on the west side, is it not? I'm not, you know, I'm all, not even sure. I'm pretty sure it's on the far west side. It's it's of course named after, according to Virgil, Acestes. Oh, is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, one of one of Virgil's men, one yeah. of his companions, Acestes. He founded that city. Oh so, my, okay. Sagesta. No, not plausible, but interesting and right. Perhaps right. a false etymology. Sure. Yeah.
1: Have you been to Sicily? I have not. I have to, so, no.
0: It's on my list. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I haven't been to Crete either. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have. I have, just once.
1: Right. I rub it in. Yep, yep. So um, Segesta in this story is being pressured, is being um, uh, put upon by Silenus, another another mm-hmm. colony there. And um, Silenus appeals to the big the big guy in the block, Syracuse. Right. And they want help to to run a blockade, kind of starve the Segestans out. And so Segesta
0: is feeling the pinch, and so they appeal to their um, their ally, Athens, mm-hmm. help. Now, there's a story. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know exactly where it's from. It may be one of the more obscure historians like Diodorus Siculus or uh, Dionysus of maybe maybe Plutarch, who's not obscure, that when they make this appeal, right, they want to show that if you come to Sicily, there's a lot of plunder to be taken. Hmm. So the ambassador—I think these are the Athenian, amb- Athenian ambassadors. When they come and they visit these different— Homes, you yeah. remember this story? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. They yeah. have
0: a, they have one set of gold uh, plateware for these banquets, and they just shuffle it from house to house, <laughs> so that when the ambassadors are there, they think, oh you know, man, all, all of these people in Sicily are living high on the hog. Yeah. So. We have to come here and pick up all this plunder because, look, they're all eating off gold plates. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's I'm great. trying to think of an analogy or a metaphor. Well, I'm, just, I'm wondering if maybe some of my neighbors have better plateware than I do. Oh, there's right? no doubt. <laughs> okay, without a doubt, yeah. Well, but when you come over, right, yeah. when you visit Shea Noe, you, you yeah. know, we don't serve you, uh, what, uh, Lowenbrow, right? No. No, it's all Heineken. <laughs> all the time. Or higher. <laughs> right, right, right. Lowenbrow's is yeah. not a real beer. It's a... it is, Isn't there? Lowenbrow? There was a Lowenbrow. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hearing the jingle in my head. I always meant it as a joke, like lowbrow. It's low, low and brow. brow. It's
1: a, it's an unfortunate name, but that was really or is it. a real beer. Okay, I'm not yeah. much of a beer man. But... Yeah, me either, but I remember those ads. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, tonight make it low and brow. <laughs> Something like that. Um. So, yeah, so there was, so you were
0: saying that that was maybe one of the that was one of the ruses, the ruses. to uh, pull the Athenians into the conflict. Come to Sicily. Everyone's eating off gold plate. There's yeah. plunder to be had. So there's plenty for everybody coming That's right. for, and take it. Right, We'll all be fat and giggly.
1: So the question arrives in the a Democratic Assembly back in Athens of what should we do? And the two sides, kind of the, yes, we should launch the expedition, and the, no, this is a bad idea, are respectively taken up by Alcibiades, our wonder boy, who we'll talk more about, kind of his background in a moment, um, and a, uh, an older, um, more seasoned, perhaps, General Nicias. The crusty old Dean, is cr- that whom we're talking right, about? Right, 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 right. So, uh, and ultimately, the... Um, the assembly is swayed by Alcibiades' arguments for okay. for, for going for it. And it's um, as the as Thucydides tells the story, and, and again we should remind the, the listener that Thucydides is as a historian He's in the thick of this. He's not writing hundreds of yeah, years he later. He was an Athenian naval commander, right?
0: So he's he's a, a participant, and he, he had a a, a very close uh, eyewitness view of everything.
1: Right. He claims to have kind uh, of witnessed a lot of these speeches, and and says I, I tried to get to get to get them down as best I could.
0: Right. Right. Although he was disgraced and humiliated and out of the war when he wrote it, so that's true. Right. He may that have. might that might shade it a little bit, like when you when you uh, push me off the ad nauseum podcast eventually, and you know make it more of a monologue. Yeah, I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I know you. You are. Oh, no. I want to go with the solo album. Yeah, right, right. The sophomore album. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> so, uh, we'll read a little bit of, of Thucydides' uh, um, account of, of this okay. debate, but it goes it's along these lines. So, Alcibiades says, "You know, we got to do this, um, and this is the number of ships and the number of hoplites we're going to need." And Nikki is thinking. Hey, maybe I can can mess with the crowd here a little bit. He says something along the lines. He goes, "Yeah, we could should go, but if we're going to go, we're going to need a lot more than that." He's going to need a hundred ships, or we need five thousand hoplites. Mm. Thinking that the assembly would would think, "Oh, way
0: too much." Yeah, that's we're going to overcommit ourselves right. there.
1: But the assembly says, "Sounds good." It
0: backfires. It backfires big time. Yeah, reverse psychology. You know, it, it's not always going to work. No, it's a roll of the dice. Mm. Yeah, uh, Dave, would you mind reading a little bit of the Greek? I would love to. Please take I it would away. Love to. So this is from Thucydides, Book Six. Uh, paragraphs 23 and 24. Eingar altoi elfomen entenda me antipalon manon paraskewasamanoi plain gepras to machimon auton to hapliticon ala kaihuparbalantes tois passi mollus hutos hoyoite esomethaton men craten tadakai kai dia sosai. I think Thucydides would be very proud. Of, I hope so. Of, of
1: He'd probably
0: laugh me out of the court. <laughs> he would say, You're just a barbarian. How could you butcher this beautiful prose I've written? I disagree. I, d- okay. I, I, I disagree. Um, G- and, Greek is tonal, right? You know? It yeah. ah, goes up and down like yeah, that. I w- now, I kind of wish you would have thrown some of that in. I can't do it very well. Right, yeah. it's, it's music. Right, right, right. Anyway, thanks for the compliment.
1: Sure. Um, and looking at this Greek, have uh, you translated some Thucydides?
0: Very little. It's it's brutal. It's it's challenging. It's very challenging. This Greek much... I'm,
1: I'm looking at here doesn't look that bad. but
0: No, no. I, I mean, I could sight read a fair amount of it, but... Right. Um, I've done less Thucydides than Plato and Herodotus, right. for sure.
1: But yeah, you know, the, the stuff, I remember doing a, a seminar in graduate school and, and just beating my head against the it's desk. It's tough. It's tough stuff, right. Um, all right, so the translation we're going to read goes uh, a bit beyond uh, the, the Greek okay. that we just read. Um, and uh,
0: is this this uh, is Richard Crawley, right? Richard
1: Crawley translation, right? Mm-hmm. I took it from um, uh, the Perseus Project website. Oh, yeah. you, you use that ever? Uh, no? uh, fairly often, yeah. usually
0: yeah. To, to grab the Greek text or the Latin text. Right. Right, right, right. Um, For translations, I usually go with a a PDF, um, sorry, a public domain lobe or something if I don't have time to do it on my own. Yeah, yeah. So this is the the translation that's available on the Perseus website. And it's maybe
1: not the best one, but it's very readable.
0: Now, I just have to ask, Mm -hmm. is someone going to send in some obit information and other (laughs) trivia about Richard Crawley? I don't know if we know anything about Mr. Crawley. I don't know anything. No. It might make your skin crawly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if
1: we do. We want to do a deep dive into crawling. No, 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 no Go no. for it. All right. So um, why don't I, I read the translation for the uh, twenty three, and then you, can you pick it up at twenty four? Absolutely. All right. So um, I think believe this is uh, this is Nikkius speaking here. Uh, Indeed, even if we leave Athens with a force not only equal to that of the enemy, except in the number of heavy infantry in the field, but even at, at all points superior to him, we shall still find it difficult to conquer Sicily or save ourselves. We must not disguise from ourselves that we go to found a city among strangers and enemies, and that he who undertakes such an enterprise should be prepared to become master of the country the first day he lands, or failing in this to find everything hostile to him. Fearing this, and knowing that we shall have need of much good counsel and more good fortune, a hard matter for mortal man to aspire to, I wish as far as may be to make myself independent of fortune before sailing. And when I do sail, to be as safe as uh, as a strong force can make me. This, I believe, to be surest for the country at large and safest for us to go who are to go on the expedition. If anyone thinks
0: differently, I resign him, I resign to him my command. Mm, okay. With this, Nicias concluded, thinking that he should either disgust the Athenians by the magnitude of the undertaking or... Or, if obliged to sail on the expedition, would thus do so in the safest way possible. The Athenians, however, far from having their taste for the voyage taken away by the burdensomeness of the preparations, became more eager for it than ever. And just the contrary took place of what Nicias had thought, as it was held that he had given good advice and that the expedition would be the safest in the world. All alike fell in love with the enterprise. The older men thought that they would either subdue the places against which they were to sail, or at all events, with so large a force, meet with no disaster. Those in the prime of life felt a longing for foreign sights and spectacles, and had no doubt that they should come safe home again. While the idea of the common people and the soldiery was to earn wages at the moment and make conquests that would supply a never-ending fund of pay for the future, with this enthusiasm of the majority... The few that liked it not feared to appear unpatriotic by holding up their hands against it and so kept quiet. I love that how
1: Thucydides goes through this this kind of laundry list of possible motivations. Yes, and things, right?
0: this is psychologizing of history. Right. right. Now the key difference, so I understand, I'm neither an expert in Herodotus or in Thucydides, but the key differences that I understand is, A, Herodotus is a uh, rollicking storyteller yes. who pulls in as much of... Uh, as, as much as he knows from every source possible, and just says, "This might be true, that might be true. I'll leave it to you to figure out." Right, right, right. And right. lots of supernatural explanations for everything. Exactly. This is what the gods wanted. This was tuche. This was, um, this was, uh, you know, fate. Thucydides. It's a deep psychologizing perspective of what could have probably driven a given actor at a given moment right it's
1: it's very uh human centered it's very existential and the kind of the divine element is is thoroughly removed from his analysis. absolutely and is it if i remember correctly i think even in his introduction there's a he doesn't name names but there's a fairly thinly oh. veiled reference to herodotus and yeah saying, you know this is this this guy old hack kind yeah. of thing yeah 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 so which do you prefer um I, I think just as you said, if I'm reading for kind of pleasure, right. you can't be Herodotus. Like no. his, his version of the Thermopylae episode is just is fantastic. It is. It is. It is.
0: But if you want to... if And you what's wa- going on in the house of Croesus, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Murder, intrigue, uh, incest, adultery. Uh, there's just everything. There's wild know. stories that, of, of the weird things they're doing in Egypt. Right. right. It's, it's very tabloidy. <laughs> exactly.
1: Right. But, um, but Thucydides, you're not going to get a lot. You're not getting lots of laughs. No, it's 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 very very serious. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bet he wasn't. And if you were going to go out
0: for a drink with one of those two guys, you're going out with Herodotus, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Although Thucydides, he's the kind of guy that you know would probably pick up the tab. You think so? Well, he's got so much self-discipline, right? Everything is just you know. Yeah. He probably would arrange a valet or something. He'd have it all worked out and scoped out. Yeah. You know, for the first four parts of our conversation this evening, we'll be discussing. <laughs> you know. Herodotus, very, very different. <laughs> Do you think Thucydides would have uh, set a
1: good spread on the table, though? Or would it would be kind of bread and water? It would be pretty sparse, I think. It would be pretty lean. So, yeah, but um, also, I mean, so he gives all these wonderful uh, possible motivations of why people are, you know, enthusiastic or, uh, you kind know, of quietly voting right. for this motion. But you also have kind of, a, in some ways, a classic Herodotian setup. This is hubris about to meet Nemesis. That's Right. Right brilliant so you, can't, yes. you can't you can you can avoid that
0: yeah. so just to define some terms for our audience in case they might I, I know we have probably the most uh sophisticated audience without a doubt oh of course mm-hmm. but hubris right hubriso means uh to aspire to things that are above your rank yeah you can't do that no right? no no right if you got the goods you boast but only to that level to go above is hubris and the nemesis
1: Nemesis. Well, that's the that force that 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 kind of takes you from the top of
0: the slide to the to the bottom of the slide. Knocks you right down. Knocks you down. Right. It's it's all shoots no ladders. You oh, might exactly say exactly
1: right right. And so there's that kind of that Greek notion of of uh, of balance and being in the middle. Right. Mm-hmm. So Daedalus and Icarus. You know, his Daedalus tells Icarus don't fly too high. That's the one everybody knows. But he also right. tells
0: him don't fly too low. Yes, because if you fly too low, the water will uh, kick up into your wings and drag you down. And drag you down. So you got to find that middle yeah. space. Aristotle. You want to Aristotle? The maiden Agon. Yes. The nothing, nothing in excess. Nothing in excess. Yeah. Right, right, keep, keep an even keel. Right. So
1: when you, if you can graph out the journey of a hubristic actor, uh,
0: when he goes from the very top to the very bottom, it evens out mm. in the middle. So before we uh, move on to Alcibiades, can we just take a moment if, uh, to look at some of the specifics of the motivations? Because this is quite fascinating. Yeah, please. Yeah. we we'll try to be brief here. But he says, The old men thought they would either subdue the places against which they were to sail, or at all events, they'd suffer nothing, meet no disaster. Those in the prime of life, they just wanted some sightseeing and spectacles. We'll get back home safe again. Right, it's a
1: vacation, yeah. The
0: common people and the soldiers, what did they want? They wanted money. Yeah, those money grubbers, (laughs) says Thucydides, an aristocratic telling of history, right? And make conquests that would supply a never-ending fund of pay for the future. That's right. So remember uh, remember when we looted Syracuse? We're still living off those proceeds. That's right. Yep. And then finally, the few that didn't like it, why did they keep their mouths shut? They didn't want to look unpatriotic. Yeah, right. I'm sure that's never happened in any war. No, right? no, no, no.
1: I mean, that. I mean, especially that last line. It, it's I, brilliant. It's brilliant he's got the he's got the finger on the pulse there.
0: Yes, right. Nobody wants to be a part of an um, unpopular cause, right.
1: right? So yeah, I think that if Herodotus were telling this episode, I think he would kind of he would treat the Athenian assembly much more as kind of a, a one minded collective. That's a good right? point. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, it also I mean, it kind of reminds me too of. Um, this is kind of a, a, like another expedition to Troy. Mm. Uh, yeah. And the various, you know, no, the only person that really cared about bringing Helen back was Menelaus. Right. Everybody else was going for different reasons. They were
0: very opportunistic. Yes. Right. Yeah. Oh, here's a good plausible reason to go attack Troy. It's because of adultery and, you know, insults to our honor. Yeah. It really wasn't about that at all. <laughs> no, no. Which is why uh, Achilles and Odysseus famously said, we don't want any part of this. Right. They were, they were hiding. They were faking uh, right. insanity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Achilles was dressing up as a woman. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. And I mean, they were also. Th- I think they were also thinking about you know, what kind of uh, silverware the Trojans had. They could, <laughs> could swipe. Yeah, right. right. Nice, nice right. connection there. Yep. All right, so we're going to get around to talking about Alcibiades and get down to the scandal that's the in the title front. Episode, but we should probably pause and do some ads. Let's first. do that.
0: This episode of Ad Nauseum is brought to you by Hackett Publishing. Hackett Publishing. Offices in Massachusetts and Indianapolis. These guys for 50 years now. 50 years this year. That's right. 2022. So they started in 1972. Have been putting out the highest quality resources, publications for those in classics. Uh, political science, Latin American studies, uh, East Asian studies—the whole gambit. That's right, Ga- gambit. Yeah, G- uh, gamut. 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 Yes. They run the gamut. Yes, they do run the gamut.
1: Yeah, I recently picked up um, a translation of Aristophanes' Frogs. Oh, from yeah. Harkin, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the translator's name, but I'm always—it's my favorite play. Right. So I'm always interested how different approaches, but yeah, it's a—it's a—it's a its a, its a sleek uh, its a sleek package. It's a—it um, very affordable and a really interesting, lively translation.
0: Yeah, I think we should just say right now what the listener and viewer can get if they go to Hackett. Yes, if they
1: go to HackApublishing.com. They get
0: 20% off. Yes, not only that, they get free shipping too. Yes. So they have to select the title, mm-hmm. drop it in their back pocket. Yep, No, the back, the, the grocery basket. Well, that's the a metaphor. You shove it into your pocket. You could. Yeah. There's a virtual pocket. Why don't people use virtual pockets? Why do they have to use a virtual shopping cart?
1: Because that's like stealing. It's like you're just well, grabbing off
0: the website and shoving it in your pocket. I know, pocket. but when's the last time you went to a bookstore and used a grocery <laughs>
1: cart? <laughs> yeah, how, many, how many books are you buying? That's a right.
0: mixed metaphor is right. what that is. I think
1: I did, the last time I was at a bookstore, I think they did have the little... You know, the little kind of uh, emasculating basket.
0: That, yeah. But I've never seen anybody it was use it. It was <laughs> it was emasculating. So put it in there. Yes. Just put it in there, and yeah. you'll get 20% off and free shipping. It's phenomenal. But
1: you have to put in the code, though. The w- code. Which you got to a- get to the code.
0: AN2022. That's right. So listener, viewer, you you got to check this out. It's a great deal. This episode of Ad
1: Nauseam, also brought to you by the Gold River Trading Company. Um, I tried some of their new teas this week. I tried, why not? I tried the one you suggested, the cacao. Did you try the cacao? The cacao, the cacao.
0: sorry. Yes. You can drink it, but you can't pronounce it. That's, that's right, right. I it, think that's their slogan, isn't it it? it? it
1: tastes better than it sounds? Yes. No, something like that. it tastes better than, than uh, Jeff
0: can pronounce mm-hmm. it. And it was great. Delicious, isn't it? And the, a nice aroma. Very good. It's a chocolaty and fresh. Mm-hmm. There's nothing stale about it. Yeah, uh, my son actually said, "Dad, are you making hot chocolate?" Yeah, and I said, "This is not for oh, you. Oh no, no, step away, <laughs> step away,
1: step away from the receptacle. This yeah. is much, much better. Much, much better." So I was pleasantly surprised. It's not something I would ordinarily. You know, mm. Go for it and drink, but it was great. I love their uh, love
0: their gunpowder green yes. and their black teas. So you're like those middle aged Athenians we were just talking about who say, hey, let's do something adventurous. Yeah, exactly right. Let's try some of this cacao tea. Well, they were talking about invading Sicily. Well, okay. You know, so, I mean, doing apples and oranges. Six of one, half a dozen of another. Right, try right. a new tea, invade Sicily. Yeah. I had some today as well. What'd you have? I had the cacao, and I had it in my little uh, device with this got a plunger and a spring. I don't think you got one of these, no. But Sorry. (laughs) A plunger and a spring and a little ball, and you put the cacao um, leaves in there, and you steep it. The instructions are very clear. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fantastic. Delicious. I think
1: you're kind of implying that your cacao is better than what I had, because I don't have all the fancy little gadgets. Well, I don't know what to say. Gadgets.
0: (laughs) So, listener, go to goldriverco.com, just like it sounds. Shop around. It's a great website. They've got the uh, what the gunpowder, gunpowder black, green, the gunpowder green. Yes, and uh, I forget the name of the, the the black one, but that's also very very good. It is very yep. good. And the pyramidal satchels and so forth. Yeah. Pick out what you like. Drop it in your whatever you're going to call it, your cardboard box, mm. <laughs> and then enter this code at checkout to receive ten percent off. A N T E A. Yes, we want you to up the ante. Ante. Ad nauseum. T. Exactly. This episode is also brought to you by Racial Coffee. Racial Coffee in Portland, Oregon has been making fine, fine coffee machines for a low this past decade. You have the six. I got the six. You're about to graduate to an eight. I am. I'm very excited. You're about to graduate. And I have an eight with oyster color and nice walnut uh, accents. It's a beautiful machine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. my machine is very popular at my house, and I told my wife that you know hey, we're going to upgrade to an eight. Was she hesitant?
0: She was. Cons- she's a conservative woman, right?
1: Well, yes, and she's she's skeptical because she right. re- she really likes the six and says, well. Is this really going to be better? Or are we going to regret yeah.
0: this? What kind of hobunk coffee machine are we going to get? <laughs> exactly it right. It does invite the question, though. <laughs> yeah. What happened to the ratio seven? Where did that go? Where did that go? Yeah. 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 Did it just skip the step? Well, if you remember back when we were working in my garage this summer, we yeah. tried to put together a ratio seven and <sighs> sent it off to Mark. What a disaster. And what did he say? Oh, was what, oh, it? I don't even think we repeated it. You and... guys stick to classics. <laughs> I'll make the coffee <laughs> machines. What... Yes, exactly. Ratio seven. Everyone knows a coffee machine needs an even number. <laughs>
1: so that's what's going on the, the i guess seven? so all right yeah. yeah i
0: just skipped right over it but the six the eight you've got the br- the uh the bloom stage bloom stage the brew stage the brew stage and then the ready the ready stage and that's where the magic comes yes yep um that's my favorite stage because then i can of actually course. drink it yeah. i had a great pot this morning so listener viewer here's what we'd like you to do we're going to, you have to go to, if you want a deal, you can go to eratiocoffee.com. That's correct.
1: And uh, you can put in um, the, the coupon code ANCO. Yeah, this
0: one doesn't change, right? No, nope, This is solid. It's been solid from the Ad-nauseum beginning. Coffee, A N C O. And this applies to both the six and the eight. That's correct. And you get 15% off. And uh, we just have to say to all of you who are listening, uh, the, the response to this coupon has been actually mind blowing. Phenomenal. I can't put the numbers on the air, but I guarantee you would be amazed to learn how. How many of your fellow ad nauseum listeners have gone the Ratio way? Yes. Drinking coffee, reading the classics. So we're so, so grateful that you have patronized Very uh, much. Ratio and supported this podcast. Yeah. So please, please keep doing that. Check it out. Yes. All right, Jeff. So as we get back into it, mm-hmm. we're going to use one of my favorite words. Yes. Pivot. We're going to pivot. (laughs) We're going to pivot. (laughs) We're going to pivot from a general discussion of Thucydides, Herodotus, and uh, Greek history. Mm -hmm. We're going to focus in uh, in a laserly way. On the person of Alcibiades and the scandal.
1: Yes, who was this guy?
0: Yeah, let's right. have the brief bio.
1: Um, so like I think I was saying earlier, it's like you you, you can't make this stuff up. Um, this guy is the Athenian wonder boy. Mm-hmm. We think he was born around uh, the year 450 BC, which would have okay. made him about 35 when this episode took place. Mm-hmm. Um, born to wealth, uh, very well educated, mm-hmm. uh, comes from a, a, a very well-established family. W- wasn't he
0: related to Kimon?
1: Uh, yes, from the, from, yeah, it was from Kimon's family.
0: Right. So he was he kind of a hero of the, and at times a heel of the yes. Greco Persian Wars. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So he was kind of born to um, greatness and expected greatness.
0: Yeah, to the manner born, you might say.
1: Yep. Um, there's also some evidence uh, he was a ward of Pericles. Yes. Uh, although Pericles doesn't seem to have been all that all that uh, interested in in um, taking on that role. Warding him. Warding him. Right. Yes.
0: Uh, I th- he, ap- he appears in um, some Plato, right, and uh, he's a student of Socrates. Socrates
1: seemed to have taken a liking to him. Right. He is said to have been inc- uh, very good looking. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Aren't we all? It, yeah. <laughs> um, very very talented. Uh, one of these one of these polymaths. He could one of these guys. Who could do absolutely everything? Right. So, but a, a, a maddening uh, kind of conflicted figure. So, you know, on one on the one hand, he's said to have a very persuasive or, orator when he spoke in this assembly. You know, everybody everybody listened. What was the old? What was the old kind of the uh, the accounting? When someone everyone listens, you know, when E. F. Hutton.
0: E. F. Talks, Hutton, Yes. You have to point at me like well, that. What did I point? Yeah, you did. You got so excited about this <laughs> old accounting commercial. <laughs> Like a member of my, I shouldn't do that. But I was gonna say a member of my family, but you know those those ads from the '80s and '90s, they stick around. They do stick around. Yeah, where's the beef? Right. I was just singing the Lowenbrow. Singing yes, you all were. Rides, right? <laughs> all right. So
1: anyway, so when, when he, like E. F. Hutton, when Elsie would speak, everybody would listen. Uh, magnetic personality. He was um, had. He was a brave soldier. Extraordinary a, athlete. Great
0: athlete. Yeah. We'll talk, he had some Olympic aren't we all victories, um, uh, later on, his, but in there his was, career. But there was a dark side, right? The yes. reverse of the coin shows Alcibiades as what? He was a spendthrift. He was extravagant, self-centered, womanizer, philanderer, yep. opportunist. Yep. Finger to the wind. Yep. He kind of. And we'll see. Towards the end of his life, he really just kind of sees which way the wind's blowing and jumps in that direction. And kind of reminiscent of. Uh, I probably can't say the name. We might face a massive lawsuit. Yeah. There was a not so um, distant uh, Italian prime minister. Oh. Who was one of these kinds of guys? Sure. Right? Right. Just a very, very dashing wealth, always surrounded by beautiful women. Mm-hmm. The you know, the women would kind of say, Oh, that's just him, that's how he is, you know, yeah. kind of a begrudging respect, and the guys would say, I want to be like that, right? I wanna have that swing in life. And yeah. so even though he was quite obviously corrupt, nobody really minded all that much because he was just a force in nature. Right,
1: right, right. Yeah, no, um I was trying to think of uh, you know who would be a modern yes. corollary? I mean, the guy that you're talking about was no athlete. No, right? I think
0: he was in his late 60s when he assumed
1: power. Past his athletic prime. You say he that had with one. such
0: disgust well, as though you're out running
1: 5ks. <laughs> I can walk them. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he, yeah, he strikes me as a combination. To I think like in know, say like an American politics. He strikes okay. me as kind of a Clintonian. Oh
0: you yeah. Know, you know, kind of a uh, smooth talker. A little, a little younger than Clinton, I guess. It when when Clinton had his prime but yeah definitely that's a person that you know such a mercurial talent that even if you disagree with a guy right mm-hmm. he just has a way of being persuasive right
1: so you you, you mix that kind of one part clinton second part I don't know joe montana <laughs> uh, uh, michael phelps some kind of uh, yeah i guess world-class athlete it's right. uh, it's a mix you don't you, you just don't see yeah so this was the guy um and so, uh, yeah. Speaking of his athletic prowess, uh, in the year 416, right in the middle of the war,
0: he competes in the Olympic Games, which is like, um, it's kind of like Athenian NASCAR, isn't it? Yes, that I was would say
1: it's the, it was the premier event, right?
0: And uh, well, I mean NASCAR, you know, it has that has cultural connotations for some people that they don't like. I don't care. But yeah, 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 NASCAR is just massively popular. to my point. It's huge. Yep. And it's so I guess it's so exciting. I've never been to an event. I don't really watch it, but the people who are there. They're all in, right? Yeah. This is uh, gripping. And that's what chariot racing is like for the Athenians. Right, it just right, right. Consumes the culture.
1: Um, I was once visiting friends in North Carolina. They were, these friends were North Carolinian yeah. and mm-hmm. huge NASCAR fans. And I was kind of poo-pooing it. Like, uh, you know, as you tend to do. I do, right. And they said, you gotta come to a, to a race. And I never did, but they were saying, so well, what, we, what you do, what you can get are, the headphones where you can listen to the dialogue between the, the pit and the driver. Oh, that would be kind of she interesting. Says, and, uh, and he was saying, that's what's
0: really interesting because you kind of The really... coaching and the direction and the right. strategy.
1: Exactly. When I was saying, God, you sit in the seat, you put in front of the gas, and you're kind of slightly turning left
0: at all times, right? I <laughs> oh, I want to know is, do the headphones have headphones? Because I can't tolerate <laughs> oppressive sound. Oh. It drives me nuts. And I think that those events are really loud. Yeah. So you would want them for kind of the noise canceling. Oh, oh, yeah. For, right, right, right. I would go away uh, sick. I can't handle loud noises like right. that.
1: So, uh, uh, Olympic the Olympic Games, especially chariot racing at the right. games There's your there's your NASCAR event. Exactly, and, so and to, he won. He right? won. I think um, it's listed. He he entered three of uh, chariot racing events, and he won fifth place, fourth place, and a first place.
0: That's incredible. And so he comes home as. Oh man, the you're, Wonder Boy did it again! Yeah, you're driving four horses at breakneck speed. Yes, and just holding onto them by these leather straps. Right, incredible achievement. Ingr- yes, and uh, again, him as as a risk taker too. Mm-hmm. Lots of people who were you know maimed and injured and killed doing that right. kind of stuff. And this brought him back into uh, influence yeah. and um, respectability among the masses. So it to he he kind of went in and out of favor. Of most
1: of the Athenians they would kind of like you know follow him and then kind of get sick of him. And he his victories at Olympia. He came back home a conquering hero, mm-hmm. and he, uh, again, politician
0: that he was, kind of parlayed this into influence and and uh, yeah.
1: and uh, political strength.
0: You don't see that so much in our context. It's rare that an athlete um, becomes a politician. I was thinking this happened. Um, the guy from the Seattle
1: Seahawks, Steve Largent, was oh, a That's right. Was he a was a Republican.
0: Uh, was he I think a he was a rep, and he may have become a senator. Herschel Walker, the famous uh, running back from Georgia, he's now, he's ma- running for Senate, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. But the you know the I guess the the athlete track is you know more greased than the celebrity track. Hmm. It seems to be that it's harder for a celebrity to become a politician. You know, if you're in music or something like that. Uh, why? Uh, why do you suppose that is? I, mean, I don't what, know. What, what is it? Oh. Sonny Bono became a politician. He did right. He did. What? Well, Al Franken,
1: his, the, the uh, yeah, SNL comedian. comedian.
0: Yeah. So it I, I don't know. I think there's an authenticity issue. So um, actors, uh, comedians, so forth. Those people are really good with words. Yeah. Almost too good. The American population maybe is a little suspicious of. Is this just a a you know charade? Stick.
1: Yeah. Right. Well, they make their living doing something that's false. Correct. Right. The, by
0: pretending to be a, some something they're not. And with with athletes, they're harder to. Um, you know, you you envy them for what they're able to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people do. Yeah. And so I think there's just something more morally neutral about uh, athletes.
1: I think it also has to do with um, sports being kind of the last meritocracy, right? Yes. Where, where you're kind of you are judged on your ability alone, and and nothing. Well, I mean, maybe that's changing now, but nothing else should come into it. You can either run fast and catch and throw, or you can't. Right. And if you run faster than everybody else, you'll eventually get recognized. Right. Yeah, and so maybe that's why we maybe inherently hmm. see a politician as I see. Uh, an athlete as maybe a better politician than an
0: actor. Right? Well, who knows? Better candidate? Who knows?
1: All right. So, um, getting down to the the these the scandal here. Right. So at this time, so he, he's 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 in, he's in Athens. He's, Alcibiades. Yep. He's kind of risen to the rank of general. His rival is the general Nicias, who we talked about, um, and he's chosen as this this uh, as co general with Nicias to lead this Sicilian expedition.
0: Okay. One of the strategoi.
1: Yes and that's when scandal strikes. Okay. And so on the very eve of the expedition although I think it's unclear if you know uh, it if it's like the eve or it's it's at least close to there could be eve's eve. Eve's Eve's right? They're about ready to sail off. Okay. And um, I love this because we have a very specific date for. it. June 7, 14 uh, 415 BC. Okay. Uh, the Athenians wake up and, and to this horror. And they see that um, all of these herms, which you mentioned at
0: the top of the show. Yes, have been um, mutilated, chiselled, broken, yeah. knocked over. It's a marble plinth, R- yes, right? It stands about four and a half, maybe five feet high. At, yeah at, at most. there's a um, a carved head of Hermes on the top mm-hmm. and then the male genitalia about halfway down. Yep. and these were all defaced and in other ways, um, vandalized and what uh, what should we say? Yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were,
1: yeah, uh, chiseled up, uh, knocked down. When I've taught this episode in class, I remember I had what student say that It says, "Well, it sounds like a, like a drunken fraternity prank." And it does sound right? like that,
0: but stealing the the pig from the competing university,
1: exactly. Right. However, um, it it was unlike a fraternity prank, and it was a very serious business.
0: Yes, it had religious uh, implications. Right. So, as
1: we were saying at the top of the show, to knock these things down and to, to vandalize them. In some ways, is inviting a kind of negative spiritual attack. You've kind of right. left the city vulnerable right. uh, to, the, uh, and not only that, evil forces. Evil forces, and then not only that, it's a, it's a horrible omen hmm. for the the expedition to, to 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 go. So let's let's read a little bit. This okay. is from. Um, uh, the other main source, aside from Plutarch, uh, on this episode and, and Alcibiades, uh, sorry, from Thucydides uh, on the life of Alcibiades, is Plutarch. Okay, who's writing many years later? But this is the, from the the Parallel Lives. Yes, right, and this yep. is the
0: the specific the life of Alcibiades. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, let me just uh, let me do the translation here. This is a translation from We're going to skip uh, the Greek. Oh, do you, do you want to read some more Greek? I just want to read
0: one sentence. Oh, please, go for Can it. Can I do that? Yes. Cause it's, I'm very self indulgent, as we all know. Take it away. Epi, psefisamenu, detudemu, genomenon hetoimon, panton pros, ton ekplun, paren, ude, ta, tes he very nice, thanks. Very nice. And it's uh, quite different than Thucydides. Very different. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think Plutarch's an
1: easier read. Uh, Simple. He's somewhere I think kind of between Thucydides and, and Herodotus in mm-hmm. his uh, in the way he approaches these things. Balanced yes. style. But um, and what does it mean? It's uh, so he says, after the people had adopted this motion, all things were made ready for the departure of the fleet. There were some unpropitious signs importance, especially in with connection with the festival, namely the Adonia, which was a festival. Um, uh, that involved ritual weeping by the women of the town mourning the death of Adonis mm-hmm. from that uh, famous myth with Aphrodite.
0: And, and this is uh, the translation of uh, Bernadotte Perrin? Yes. Okay. Yes. Continue, please. This fell, at the t- this fell at that time, and little images like dead
1: folk carried forth to burial were in many places exposed to view by the women who mimicked burial rites, beat their breasts, and sang dirges. Moreover, the mutilation of the Herms, most of which in a single night had their faces and forms disfigured, confounded the hearts of many, even among those who usually set small store by such things. So even those, even the ones who didn't... Yeah, no no big deal. No big deal. Right. They were bothered by this instead of portended something, you know, bigger. It was said, it is true, that Corinthians had done the deeds. Typical, Syri- right? Syri-
0: yeah, Corinthians. Corinthians.
1: Syracuse being a colony of theirs, because that's one of the forces yeah. they're going up against, right? In the hope that such portents would check or stop the war. The multitude, however, were not moved by this reasoning, nor by that of those who thought the affair no terrible sign at all, but rather one of the common effects of strong wine, when dissolute youth in mere sport are carried away into wanton acts. So again, fraternity
0: prank is the idea.
1: right. They looked on the occurrence with wrath and fear, thinking it the sign of a bold and courageous conspiracy. They therefore scrutinized keenly every suspicious circumstance, the council and the assembly convening for this purpose many times within a few days. So they were having emergency meetings of the democracy. Who who did this? Who did this? And what are the implications? Right. So this is is, um,
0: a kind of almost a capital offense that has taken place. Right. Right. It's like, so it's breaking all of the stop signs, taking down all the yield signs, spray painting all the... um, you know the traffic signals and so forth. Yeah, but so much worse because these all had religious significance, right?
1: So again, I, I think you know, I think uh, you know, would probably ascribe many motives to the people who were mm-hmm. upset about this. Um, and to be honest, from from Plutarch's uh, take on this, we're not exactly sure if Alcibiades was behind this, but mm. uh, he seems to suggest that his uh, his enemies jumped on this and said, oh, "Yeah." This is a good way to take him down. Right. And so he had, Alcibiades had a particular kind of enemy in town named um, Androcles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he starts rounding up witnesses. Plutarch suggests that maybe he's he's, he's you know paying people off, yes. up, um, a false witness. So this is
0: a rival, this guy? Mm-hmm. A okay.
1: pl- political rival, somebody who resented Alcibiades' kind of quick rise to power. The uh, second
0: major enemy, right? He had, yeah. he had Nicias, right? Now yeah. there's the Androcles also kind of against him.
1: You don't live a life like Alcibiades lived without making a few enemies okay. down the road. Um and so they start um, accusing Alcibides of doing this. And not only that added to the charge, is that um, on the same night, he and his friends did a drunken parody of the sacred rites of Eleusis. Ooh. Another terrible omen, and something that, also something that the Athenians took very, very seriously.
0: Highly irreligious. Very irreligious, right. So why would, why would they do that on the the night before the big expedition when the boats are about to sail to Sicily? Who
1: knows? I mean, it, it's yeah, I could be easily convinced that it was, you know, he was set up. Um, mm. Maybe some something something to that effect. We don't. We'll never. We'll never know. Um, but there's enough of this um, going on that people start to. Uh, again, mm. More and more fingers are pointing at Alcibiades, and and, and this is when he's charged with Asobeia, right? Asobeia, right? So the the charge of impiety, right? Um, and this comes with uh, this comes with the hemlock.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if you're if you're, you're found convicted, so this is serious serious business, right?
0: Right. So this is also quite unusual to our experience as well, right? Um those who are more politically progressive, I've often heard them complain about the the melding of church and state in um, America, right? That there are a lot of religious overtones in a lot of our public rituals. Right. I'm sympathetic to that complaint. You know, it's, it is there in a lot of places. Uh, but it's hard for us to imagine that someone could be actually charged and tried because they didn't say a prayer properly. They didn't say... God bless America at the end of their State of the Union speech. Right. It's it doesn't rise to the level of illegality. Right. It wasn't taken so seriously. Right.
1: Yeah, I you, I see it. It kind of bubbles up when um, you know someone puts a display of the Ten Commandments on on state property, right? Right. And then the people people get upset about it on, on, on both, on both sides, sides. Both sides. Right. Take it down. No, keep, it up. keep it up. It's <laughs> a
0: matter of life and death. It goes both ways. Right. But no legal action. Right. You exactly. know, you can't be put in jail and. Um, and, uh, you know, condemned to death like this charge.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, Alcibiades, um, he, he, he responds to it by saying, go ahead and try me, mm. right? You know, put me up on charges. And he's, he's thinking maybe he can talk his way out of this. He's got powerful friends and strong people. Or he, maybe he's innocent and he's got good evidence to that effect. Possibly, possibly. Um, and what's very interesting is that his opponents argue, um, well, no. You should be allowed to set sail, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe they recognize that um, if this is going to succeed, we need somebody with his talent on board. Um, sail the expedition, and when you
0: get back, we'll put you up on trial. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the nature, I understand, of very talented people. In some ways, they make themselves indispensable. So you may not like them, but for something like this, you really need them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the assembly decides um, that's the way we're
1: going to go. Alcibiades, you're going to go, and when you return, then we'll deal. We'll, mm. we'll deal with this later. Um, and then uh, another twist: he sails with the expedition when he when he comes to Sicily. There's a ship already waiting to take him back home, hmm. um, which is very strange. Does it so, have red and you know blue strobe lights on the prowl? <laughs> exactly. So pulls forth? them over. Exactly. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they say, nope, we're taking you back to Athens. And Alcibiades says, okay, I'll go, but I'm I'm not getting on your boat. I'm going to follow in my own
0: ship. Yeah, that's a classic move. Right. Yeah, I'll just follow you back right, to exactly Athens. Exactly, right. Yeah. And, and they, just, fell like, like, they fell for it?
1: They uh. fell for it. Yes. I don't know if money changed hands or he was just that yeah. glib of a talker. Hmm. Um, and uh, but so on the way back, he bolts hmm. and he flees with that ship and the members of the crew of his crew on that ship. Um Back in Athens, you know, some of his compatriots who are kind of you know caught up in this lawsuit, they are they're found guilty mm. and they're condemned to death. Um, uh, and he's also condemned to death in absentia.
0: Right. They confiscate
1: his his estate, all his, his property, all, all his, his, property. his wealth becomes,
0: all, uh, yep. You know, belongs to the state.
1: And a huge bounty is placed on his head uh, is put on his head. The Plutarch says um, uh, a t- uh, a talent. Okay. Um, which is. 6,000 drachmae
0: and I found some estimates that for your... To, to try to bring it into contemporary terms right. so we can understand how much money this is. So if
1: you were kind of a middle-class, skilled worker, right. this would be nine
0: years' pay. Yeah, so not quite a million dollars in our terms, right. but very, very high. A
1: very, a, a huge amount of money, right? Um, more more money than the vast majority of any Athenian had ever seen at or one Or more time. than a classics professor might or, make. Way more than <laughs> that, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, so this mutilation of the Herms the the parody of these sacred mysteries of Eleusis, which we will do an episode someday mm-hmm. on those, um, force uh, kind of, uh, hands or uh, hand at least as he sees it, he um, he takes off and then this is just I think he, this is where his story just gets so strange and so weird. Um, he defects to Sparta. Yeah. And he goes to Sparta and says, listen, I'll help you out. You know, I'm an odd man out of Athens. They've, they've um, condemned me to death. How about if I give you some pointers on how to, how to beat them? Mm-hmm. And so he becomes the confidant of King um, August II the there. Yes, And then go- proceeds to seduce King August's wife, the Queen <sighs> of Sparta. And yeah, it's uh, uh, Timaea was her name. Mm. And there's rumors start flying that, you know, not only does he have an affair with the Spartan queen, he may be the, the, the father of her child. Mm. And so, you, as you can imagine, when Agus returns, comes home, finds out about this. He's pretty upset. He's upset.
0: So, this is a little bit like Caesar in Egypt, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. With Cleopatra. Exactly. Very, very similar. Very similar. Uh, there's a book on this that I read many years ago, uh, by, written by a man that many people may know, Victor Davis Hanson. Yeah. I talked a little bit before. Not a great fan of his style thereby, right, he'll never be a guest on the podcast <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> but the book, A War Like No Other, covers these events and covers them very well. Yeah, he's he's um, a recognized expert on Thucydides. Absolutely. A great military historian. He's, he's yep. done all his homework and then some. Right, right, right. So
1: Alcibiades finds himself in hot water again. And this time he defects to the traditional enemy
0: of Athens and Sparta, the Persians. Wow. So he's really sticking the finger. Yes. His finger in the eye of the Athenian people. Yeah. You don't like me defecting to to Persia? Fine. I'll defect to Sparta. Right. He's, he's all over the place, right? Mm. So here's where you know we we're talking
1: in terms of like finger to the wind. He's saying, right. okay, we, you know, who can I, um, who can I persuade to take me in? Who can I get you know to, right. me to pay me for the advantage I offer? So um, he offers advice to the Persian satrap um, at the time, and he's thinking, listen, this uh, Athens and Sparta, they're bleeding each other out. Mm. This might be the time to strike. Um, but Thucydides argues that he wasn't really all that interested in using the Persians to get revenge on
0: the no, Greeks no.
1: he was trying to grease his way to a he wanted to kind of set up a return he wanted yeah. to
0: kind of find a way back yeah triangulate yes triangulate right mm-hmm. and, yeah wasn't that that's also very a clintonian yeah i think it is clinton <laughs> yes play one enemy off another enemy by appearing as a savior to both right. and coming out on top yeah exactly so
1: um, he uh, learns by hook or by crook that there's an oligarchic plot back in Athens to okay. overthrow the democracy. He said, maybe I can get in on that. <laughs> um, and he he gets messages to some of these uh, would-be revolutionaries. He says, listen, um, I can promise you Persian money, right. Persian ships. All you got to do is let me in on maybe the Maybe some of those
0: fancy... Uh, Persian linen pants and wicker shields. <laughs> he wanted those pants. That Herodotus talks about. <laughs> right? Exactly. Like the, the, like the bloomers. Yes, I think so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Parachute. <laughs> MC Hammer pants. Exactly. The Hammer pants, yeah. So that falls through. And then this is just, it just gets weirder and weirder. The Athenian fleet, which had remained loyal to the democracy, they extended olive branches and say, we need you back to him to him so he hmm. goes full circle right right and they said okay if you come back and help us out maybe we'll let the whole hmm.
0: um just forget about
1: it all the impiety thing
0: slide right so where does this all end up then i mean what is the end of this guy when does his life end where where is his final allegiance Right. So he we know that he dies
1: around the year 404, okay. which is you know, 11 years after the launch of the Sicilian expedition. And
0: before the installation of the 30 tyrants?
1: Yes, I believe so. Very so the, close to
0: that. The 30 tyrants, these are the, are the persons that the uh, Spartans put in charge of Athenian government right. as so, a puppet state. Exactly. I mean.
1: So in 404, that's usually the, the year that's given as the the end of the Peloponnesian War, where Athens capitulates, okay. right? And he dies in that same year, but he does not die in Athens. And so um, he gets he comes back to the Athenian fleet and actually has some success. Mm. Um, he's leading the navy again. He's kind of oh the hero's back, and right? Imagine I mean the circle that he that he goes through, and he actually returns to his home in Athens. And now he's a conquering hero, mm. and it seems that all is all is forgiven, and uh, the assembly votes not only to.
0: You keep him on as the the naval captain, right.
1: but to take over the whole enterprise. The oh. war is now in your hands.
0: So they give him a large, like a living room sectional, right? Yes. He's got two of those chairs that recline with a little refrigerator in it, the uh, in this in this in the on the side. Yeah, with the USB port and the LED lights underneath. Cup holder. Cup holder. Yeah. He's got yeah. an auto man. The, the whole thing. <laughs> He's living the life. He is living the life. You just got a little picture of what I think is high luxury. And, <laughs> You know, the privileges of power. Yeah. Down in, down in the man cave with the... the Living room sectional. The, <laughs> I want I want the seating to stretch in a plush way all around the perimeter.
1: So so not just in the, the, your traditional
0: no, L? No, 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 no. You want the full... I want a
1: U. You want a U. Yep. Oh, man. That does sound nice about me right. right
0: now. Yeah. So when is this guy going to die? Well, not
1: yet. All right. And so... Um, the, uh, he gives, uh, they give him the, the the run of the war and it, it's right at the end and it all starts to fall apart mm. again. And so by the year 405, right before the end, Alcibiades again says, I better get out of here before they they decide to you know execute me right. And he goes up to he, he has an estate up in Thrace. Mm. Uh, where I, don't we all? It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a, a place
0: to get away from it all, right? Not but, really. It's wild and uninhabited. That's that's how. how it's that's, not like going to Aruba, though.
1: No, 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 no. But uh,
0: maybe they have better sectionals up there. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and uh, so the Spartans start to overwhelm the Athenian army and the fleet, and even he starts to feel the heat up in Thrace. So he flees one more time mm. to Phrygia, kind of north. Turkey, right? You know, um, as we would call it, just and,
0: south of the Black Sea, right, right in there.
1: Yes, and he uh, he uh, begs for uh, protection from the local Persian governor there, who who offers it. But the Spartans eventually hunt him down, and the Spartans are you know they've wanted revenge for what he did to them, abandoning them, um, seducing their queen. He's uh, they've got a bounty on his head as well, and um, they wear the governor down um, by hook or by crook, and he reveals yeah he's living in that. That house over there, hmm. and I think according to one story, I, mean, I think it might be from Plutarch, is that um, Alcibiades kind of runs out of the house, kind of one last stand. Yeah, it's, it was like it was almost like like you know heard like suicide by cop. Yeah, you kind so of run at the. He's being courageous. He's courageous, and um, the you frogmen know, get him. They they get him and they they shoot hmm. him down, and thus ends
0: Alcibiades hmm. as as played by Jason Statham. Who would play Alcibiades? Not Jason Statham. Be a, maybe a younger Brad Pitt. It's got to be like a Bond-like individual, right? Yes. Real suave, but there's some danger involved. Yes. I,
1: Jason Statham might not be bad. Daniel ever, Craig. Have you ever thought of auditioning for the part? No, I'm. I'm. this is not me. I'm, who would I be in this particular story? I don't know. So I'd be one of the blurry extras in the background. <laughs> I've always wanted to be blurry.
0: A blurry extra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's I these mean, pretzels are making me thirsty. <laughs> wow, what, that was a great line read right there. I like Thanks. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So you can't, like I said, you can't make this stuff up. I uh, mean, what a life! I mean, this would this would make a great film.
0: Yes, and it has never been done to my knowledge. No, some of the m- most rich and mineable aspects of antiquity have never been made into movies.
1: Other other episodes you think would make good films? yourself. Like there's the top so much year?
0: personal. There's so much personal drama. Well, I think, of course, that the. Um, the Carthaginian War, right? Because mm. you have grandfathers and sons and grandsons in the three stages, and you who who's like Hannibal, right? Right. Uh, I think not too many years ago we heard rumors of Vin Diesel playing Hannibal. Did you oh. hear that? No, I didn't. I I could kind of see that. I suppose it, it dropped. It never happened. No.
1: Right. How many? You know how many? How many of those great those ideas kind of get so far and they just, then they just kind of fall through? Yeah, they do. Right. right. I had a. Um, um, Professor tell a story in graduate school where he had a friend whose job in Hollywood was to simply come up with, with like a, a page, um, just a page length plot mm-hmm. and then send it off and see where it would go. Right. And the only idea that kind of made it to like the second or third stage and then dropped out. Snakes on a plane? It, it was it, it, even better. <laughs> his idea. So, you know, the, the famous... Um, the Lost Legion of Varus. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so I think it was Augustus, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, Varus, give me back my legions. Right. The Teutonburg Forest. Right. Yeah, my eagles, right. And his idea was that um, the uh, the Lost Legions of Varus. Uh, show up one day in the New York subway just come marching up that was kind of like you know and the next writer take it from there and it actually made it down the line but, huh. yeah I never seen that one no it did it never well, it was never made yeah yeah, yeah That's I, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd watch that I would yeah
0: well we gotta get out of here we don't do we We're we up gotta wrap it. this up yep Time is running out on us. You want to tell us a little bit about the Moss Method? I would. I'd like to say if you go to mossmethod.com and check out some of my free instruction, then you can sign up for the paid instruction, and it's expert, self-paced, and accessible. What does it take you from? It takes you from a neophyte to erudite. That's right. If you start out as just a little tender shoot of a Greekling or with no information, my 30 years now, almost 30 years wow. of... Uh, studying and teaching Greek. I'm an old guy. Mm-hmm. I can impart all of that to you more or less in a compressed and accessible fashion.
1: So if they go to mossmethod.com, they can find exactly. Uh, there's, there's a lot of free stuff there they there's can check out. There's free
0: stuff, of course. A yep. lot of free expert instruction, but also you can come along and study with me. And uh, just tomorrow, we're going to have the Moss Method office hours once again. Fantastic. Jump online. We read some Greek, New Testament, uh, Plato. We looked at some Aeschylus. We looked at some Sophocles a couple of weeks ago. It, yeah. was, uh, it was great fun. That's you know, that's better than kind of spending your time looking at the
1: tick torque and the the I the think two so and, and absolutely the tactic and the so ta- f- exactly you yeah. yeah. Wait, so I learned some
0: Greek, learn yeah. some Latin.
1: That's right. Thanks also to Mishka, our our wonderful engineer, as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Tamplin and Scott Vinzen for the great music you hear. Absolutely great uh, stuff.
0: We got Agricola in the studio tonight. We do. Our yes.
1: Videographer. Right. I'm no longer accuse him of skulking anymore. <laughs> I, I can, I can, Recording. I'm, I'm seeing what's going on and I'm making like us it.
0: look better than we are. That's right. Ever could be. Yep. Uh, if you like the show, we'd really like it if you could go to youtube.com/slash ad nauseum. Don't forget the v. Yep. And sign up to watch. We're getting some good interest, aren't we? We are
1: getting lots of people. People signing up subscribing very, very grateful for, watching for that line
0: yeah send us uh, you know uh, your questions your suggestions Dave at ad nauseumcom uh, don't forget the V Jeff at ad again don't forget the V yes tell us what you like tell us which of us you don't like could be both yeah and uh, if you you know purchase one of those products that we that we Hawk tell us about your experience we'd love to hear it oh and um, if you want to shout out Tell us about yourself. We will we will plug you. That's on right. The air. Yep. Now next week, um... next week we're looking at uh, having Ken Bratt. oh yes, friend, advisor, mentor, back into the studio uh, to talk about. A topic that he's an expert on, of Mm -hmm. course, which is the Roman catacombs. Great subject. Yep. Places we've both visited mm -hmm. and uh, about which he knows a great deal. So we're going to try to get him in for the next episode. May have some bumps, but we're going to have something good teed up next week. Yes, we are. And Dave, you've got the gustatory party shot this week. I do. This is one I'm really pleased with. This is from the late Anthony Bourdain, (laughs) uh, whose life ended very uh, sadly and tragically not too long ago. Uh, But from what I understand, he was a fantastic showman, entertainer, and cook, uh, travel expert. And this is what he says from Kitchen Confidential, Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly. That's a great title. That's right up our alley, isn't it? We need a copy of that in the auditorium. Culinary (laughs) Underbelly. He says, too lazy to peel fresh? You don't deserve to eat garlic. I have to agree. Yes, thanks for listening. Thanks.